Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying this series as we go through the I Am statements of Jesus. And one of the things in the last number of years, the Lord's been highlighting the Gospel of John to me in my own study. And I, I love I love John's gospel. It, they estimate it was probably written around um, the year 85 AD, so it likely was the last of the gospels that got written. And, and one of the things that that means is that John would have had over 50 years of reflecting on Jesus before he put pen to paper. 50 years of closing his eyes at night and remembering when Jesus turned the water to wine. 50 years of thinking back on Jesus' different teachings. I, I think about him in his quiet time, and he's just like, oh, remembering, like in John 15, where it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And these truths are going deeper and deeper and deeper into him. And when I read through the Gospel of John, one of the things I love is that it's clear enough that all of us can understand it, but it's also so deep that we'll never get to the end of it. When we were on holidays, I mentioned that we had gone to Yellowstone National Park, and just, just a beautiful park. We, we spent a couple of days there. Easily could have spent more. But one of the things you find when you go to Yellowstone National Park is that one of the things you could do if you want to, there's kind of a main road around the park. And you could just stay on that road, road the whole time. Speed limit is between 25 and 45 miles an hour. Um, so it's, it's, it's a great drive. And you would see so many beautiful things because the park's just amazing. But there's also all of these pullouts. These, these areas where you can, you can pull your vehicle to the side of the road and you just look and walk even a little bit and you see just this amazing waterfall or a fantastic canyon or these hikes into these different areas where these, they see these absolute incredible things. And, and I think that the Gospel of John and actually the whole Bible is, is actually a little bit like that. And, and yeah, we can just kind of stay on the main road. We can read through this thing and, and, and that's actually really good to do and we'll see a lot and, and gain a lot of understanding. But, but the Bible's even better when you kind of stop and you take a pit stop and you just rest on a verse and you go exploring a little bit deeper. And, and each of these I am statements about Jesus that we're going through is like a, <laughs> to use a, a silly expression, but it's, it's like a national park, only way, way, way deeper. And so we can take these pit stops in these areas as we think about who Jesus is. And what we want to do is not just get head understanding, but we want this to get deep into our hearts, right? So I think about like, uh, Pastor Brenton last week, he was talking about Jesus as a good shepherd, and, and one of the things he was talking about, like just the goodness of Jesus as a shepherd, it's just stuck with me all week, and I've been thinking about it more, and it's been affecting the way I pray and affecting the way that I approach things in my life, because it's like, well, I knew that before, but, but uh, the Lord's highlighting it again, and now it's going deeper on the inside of me, and so we want to let his word do that. We want to let these descriptions of Jesus actually transform us from the inside out. And at best, the best that we can possibly do in these sermons is give you just a small little snippet of each of these statements. Because there's so much more depth in here than, than we could possibly cover in a half hour. I think I'm going to spend all of eternity like going deeper into the knowledge of Jesus, and so will you. So, this morning... We're going to be looking in John chapter 11 as Jesus talks about himself as the resurrection and the life. So we're going to have it up on the screen, but if you want to turn there in your Bible, you're, you're welcome to do that. I'm just going to give you a fair warning on the front end that, that as we go through this, this chapter, it's probably going to mess with your theology. 
I love that. Like, as I was reading through it, it was just like it's challenging some of my assumptions about who Jesus is and how Jesus works. And we always want to go back to Scripture again and again and again because one of the things that happens is we, we start having these theological ideas of, well, this is how God is and this is how God works. But, but what I found is often that's opinion. And, and I, don't, I don't want my, my belief in God to be based on my opinion. I want it to be based on the Word. So I continually bring my own beliefs, but I put them before the Scripture and I let Scripture teach me. And so we want to do that this morning as well. So again, we're going to be looking at this story. So I'm, I'm just going to jump right in, and basically what we're going to do is go through about 40 verses, and we'll take little pauses in between, and I'll, I'll just give a few comments here and there, but I guarantee you there's way more that could be said than I will say. So we'll just start. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So I just want to pull out a few things from this passage. One is that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were good friends of Jesus. It's really interesting. When they send the messenger to Jesus, they say, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And then later on, it talks about how Jesus loved Martha and her sister and and Lazarus. So these three were actually like really, really good friends with Jesus, which is a a fasting sort of thing because you think, well, the 12 disciples were kind of really close to Jesus. But honestly, most of us don't even think about Jesus as having friends. But the Gospel of John, I think especially when we get into John chapter 15, which we won't today, but in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this invitation to be his friend. And being a friend of Jesus is about way more than showing up at church on a Sunday. Being a friend of Jesus is about living a lifestyle of walking in communion with him. And knowing his heart and knowing his ways and walking in quick obedience when he speaks to us and pushing our own desires aside so that his desires would reign through us. But these three, they're, they're really, really good friends with Jesus, which, which makes the, the second thing I want to point out really, really even more stick out. He loved them. But when he found out, when they told him that Lazarus was sick, <laughs> he waited two more days. And if you do the math on this story, what it actually means is that the day that they actually sent the messenger to Jesus, it was probably the day that Lazarus died and was buried. Because they would bury the person almost right away. So he, it's, it's, this was not a head cold. He was dying and it said, because Jesus, and he loved them, but he waited two more days. How is this kindness? Jesus could have just gone there right away and said, be healed, and boom, Lazarus would have got up, he would have been perfectly fine. But he lets, he actually lets him die. So so right away, there's a a big question raised up by this. And then secondly, another thing I want to point out is is this statement that Jesus makes in verse 4. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Except Lazarus dies. He says this sickness will not end in death, but Lazarus dies. 
Like, what's going on here? Here's something that's really important to understand. Jesus didn't lie. He said the sickness will not end in death. He didn't say it wouldn't involve death. <laughs> we, we would hear that statement. We'd all assume, oh, yeah, Jesus wants the best. This isn't going to end in death. Yay! And then, his, and then Lazarus dies. Like, Jesus, I thought you said this wouldn't end in death. And Jesus, it didn't end in death. But there was death involved in the story. And he says that, that, that this is going to happen so that, that basically that God would be glorified. God was doing something bigger in the middle of it. He said it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus is going to do things in your life that make no sense to you. And things are going to happen in your life that go against all that you know about the character and nature of God. See, we, we're starting to read the story, but, but if you've studied this story, you know. You know what's going to happen. But guess what? Mary and Martha didn't know. All they knew was that their brother was deathly ill. And so there's, there's tension in this passage. Because it's not making sense. Jesus' ways are not making sense. He's not acting like the good shepherd off the start, as far as we can tell from an earthly perspective. But the story's not over, and so we have to keep on reading. And it actually gets more intense. So we're going to keep reading in verse 8. So he's talking about what's going to happen with, with Lazarus, but, but his disciples, they're more worried about their own safety. They say in verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, because Jesus was saying they were going to go back to Judea. He says, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And he said to them, or after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. We'd probably do the same thing. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to his disciples, or to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with them. So again, Jesus lets his friend die. This guy that he loves, he lets him die. He, he doesn't answer. I imagine Mary and Martha were praying and praying and praying. They send help to Jesus. They're sitting back and they're wondering like, Jesus, why aren't you coming? Jesus, where are you? He's getting sicker. And then he, he dies and they're like, why didn't he come? And they're grieving and they're mourning and there's this sense of confusion that's, that's going on in, in the midst of this storyline. And, and here's the truth. God is going to let some things die in your life. I think about some of the dreams in our lives, and, and to be honest, some of the dreams you have for your life need to die because they're selfish. They're more about your own help, happiness, more about your, yourself than they really are about God. But, but, but some of the dreams are actually good dreams, they're godly dreams, they're from God, and he will actually let some of those dreams die too. And if we don't understand the heart of God in the midst of it, we can get confused about what's going on. And I think that's something that could have easily happened in this story as well. Our, our, you won't get hired for the job that you want. 
There's like situations in your life you thought would go one way or go another way. These, these, these reality, these, these things really hit us and, and trouble will come and, and there's, there's several reasons for it. One is that the devil hates you and he's against you and so we actually have to war against the enemy. We're not ignorant of his scheme so we have to war against the enemy's work in our, in our lives and, and another reason trouble happens is because we live in a broken and fallen world and, and ultimately things won't be made fully right till Jesus comes back. So in the middle of this we live in a world of brokenness but, but there's also a third thing and it's what's happening here, is that God will sometimes allow things in our life to die right in front of us because he's wanting to do something so much greater than what we could ever imagine. Joseph had a dream of being a ruler and he gets thrown into prison. King David, he's anointed by the prophet Samuel. He's going to be the next king. How good is that? And then he's driven from the very nation he's supposed to serve and Saul's trying to kill him. Moses wants to be a deliverer to help his people Israel, tries doing it in the flesh. Instead, he ends up in the wilderness as a shepherd for 40 years. Naomi, she simply wants to have a family. Instead, her husband dies, both of her sons die, and all of her hope is gone. And then through her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Lord, brings about one who's not only going to be an ancestor of King David, but included in the lineage of Jesus, in the human lineage of Jesus. So we see this again and again and again in Scripture. That the Lord will allow even good things to seemingly die in our lives because he's wanting to do something greater. And if we don't understand this, we're going to get confused and discouraged about why the Lord speaks things to us and then our life goes the opposite way. So this, this stuff really happened in Scripture. And, and when I say the Lord will let some of these things happen because he wants, things to be, he wants to do something greater, I don't necessarily mean greater in the eyes of the world. Sometimes we want to have a big impact, and honestly, a lot of that, or quite a bit of it can have to do with, with ourselves. Like, we live in an age of Instagram influencers. It's like, oh, I want to impact the world, and Jesus actually wants to impact your heart. He wants a character of Christ formed on the inside of us. I want to be a preacher and I I want to have an impact in this this church, but but what God's more concerned about is that actually my heart is flowing and in love with him. So he takes us on a journey to do something deeper on the inside of us, but but let's keep on going with this story here. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus, it's too late. (laughs) They cried out to you again and again and again. They cried out. They gave you, Jesus, do something. God, do something. They sent someone for Jesus. Jesus didn't come. They had to to live with the reality of this, and now he's been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, And I wonder if she said this or if she wept this. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Martha is giving some really, really deep answers here. 
She's making some deep statements. First of all, she recognizes that even though he's been in the grave for four days, the father will give Jesus whatever he asks. But secondly, she says, I know that he will rise again. And we can't just gloss over this statement because it's huge. Martha understood that this brief existence here on earth isn't the end. Many of us here, probably most of us, we've walked through the grief of seeing a loved one die. But the reality is, is if that loved one knew Jesus, the day of their death was the greatest day in their life. And I think across the spectrum in my own life of, of seeing my grandparents who are, who are well on in years and their bodies weren't really in great shape anymore and like their day of their death, they went from like hospital bed to face of Jesus. Like, oh my goodness, what, like my grand, like best day of their life. All the pain gone, they're seeing Jesus, amazing. But I also think of some 20-year-olds I know who passed away in a vehicle accident years ago. So young. Best day of their life. Because they went from being in this broken and hurting world right into the presence of Jesus. Now, for us who are left, like there's grieving and there's sorrow and there's weeping, but, and, and that, that's real. That's real on our end. We feel it. But the person who died, if they know Jesus, the day of their death is the greatest day of their life. They get to see their Savior. And so this, this hope is important. So she understands this. He's going to be raised up at, at the last day. She's making great statements. But, but Jesus isn't done here. And he starts to reveal more of who he is. Verse 25, Jesus said to her. So she says, I know he's going to be raised up. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What a statement. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into this world. What a statement he makes. I am the resurrection and the life. And he starts talking about this hope of eternity that even though we will die physically, we're never going to die because if you have your faith in Jesus, he's going to raise you up from the dead at the last day. What an anchor for your faith. This, this is our foundation. This is my foundation that, that Jesus is a resurrection and a life. And it's so important we're clear on this because Jesus does not say, he doesn't say that Allah is a resurrection and a life. He doesn't say that there's a Hindu God out there who's the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and, he, and, and this statement, again, it becomes so key for us. He says, right at the end, he asks this question. He says, do you believe this? probably the most qu important question you'll ever answer in your life. Because if you believe that he's the resurrection and the life, there's nothing more logical that you could do than just to lay everything down and follow him. If you've been on the fence about, hey, do I want to follow Jesus or not? This question is for you. And if you've been following him for, for decades, this question is also for you too. Do we believe this? And these, these aren't just words for Jesus. This was about to become lived experience in his death and in his resurrection himself. In fact, in Revelation 1, 17 to 18, and this was probably written around 
probably roughly around 10 years after the Gospel of John, John has an encounter where he sees the resurrected Christ, and he gives us some of the details. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. Jesus didn't just say he was a resurrection in life, he proved it. See, in just a moment, most of us know this story. He's he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus died again. But Jesus, he lives forever. He's the first one to conquer death. The first one in in a resurrected body for all of eternity. He says, and I hold the key of death in Hades. He's the only one who holds the keys. It's only in his name. You can't get the key from somewhere else. Can't can't get the key from another world religion. You can't get the key from trying to be a good person. Trying to be a good person doesn't hold any keys. It's just, it's you and your flesh. Jesus holds the keys of death in Hades. He's the only person who actually has the authority to make that statement because he actually came back from the dead and he conquered death and he's holding those keys. So what a statement. And this statement, again, is the anchor. It's, it's our hope that, that, that he will raise us up at the last day with him. There, there's this saying sometimes that you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think the truth is we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good most of the time. Our life is so wrapped up in this life here. We're so wrapped up in the, in the temporary. And God cares about the details of your life. It's just that our eternal home is with him. And when we set our minds on eternity, when we set our minds on the things of heaven, the way we live on this earth changes radically. And so there's this hope that comes from knowing this truth. And honestly, if this is all that Jesus had said, if the passage just ended there, like we could go home and like be so blessed by this message. We'd be so blessed by what he said in John, but it doesn't end there. So we're going to keep on reading. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, um, yeah, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and and that's an important statement there. So when she's saying this, she's weeping, probably sobbing at his feet. She's heartbroken because Jesus let her brother die. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is one of his best friends who's weeping at his feet. And so he's moved by seeing her. He's moved by what he sees in his own heart. And it says, when when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in scripture, one of the deepest. He wept. He knew what he was going to do in a moment. But he he felt the reality of Lazarus dead. 
he felt the pain of, of his good friend who he loved, Mary, at his feet, and she's weeping and sobbing, and it's one of those deep, I'm imagining, guttural sobs of just grief. Lord, you could have saved him, and she's weeping at his feet, and his response is to weep. God's not playing games with your life up there in heaven and not really caring. It's a lie of the enemy right away. God, if you were here, you could have done something. Why didn't you do anything? And Jesus enters right into her pain with her. He doesn't just say, oh, there's a hope of eternity. It'll all be okay. He enters into her pain. He knows what she's going through. And he weeps. This, this is such a key verse. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? We'll keep on going into verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. I wonder how he said it. Because he's felt the pain, and I don't know if there is like a, because he's deeply moved if he's like, take away the stone. Like, I don't know how he said it, but I, but I imagine there's a, a real emotional level. It wasn't just, oh, take away the stone. Like, there, he was He's feeling what they're feeling. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Imagine that you're there. Tomb's open. You know that the guy in there has been in there for four days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And everyone hears it, and there's got to have been a dead silence. Right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. You're looking towards the entrance of this tomb. And then all of a sudden, you, you, I don't even know if they heard anything, but all of a sudden they see this guy, and it would have taken him a few seconds, right? He, he got up from where they laid him, and then he walks out the door, and he's covered in grave clothes. And Jesus tells him to take off the grave clothes. Can you imagine? This is the story, the real story, of Jesus raising a man from the dead. In fact, the, the Pharisees would later try to plot and kill Lazarus. They didn't kill him, but they plotted to because he got raised from the dead. Everyone knew about it, and so Jesus' fame was growing even more and more. But it also tells us something about how God works in our lives. Four days in the tomb, by any human metric, there is no possibility of anything now. It was too late. And I want to tell you, Jesus is not just the resurrection and the life in his return. He's the resurrection in the life right now. He never changes. His character never changes. And he's the God who can raise a dead marriage. He's a God who can restore a broken family. He's a God who can heal a body. 
Man, we, we know, like we, we, we experience in our lives, we've, we've seen these times where we've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems to happen. But then there's also these real moments that are suddenlies of God. And we have a theology of suffering and we should have a theology of suffering. It's biblical. It's throughout the New Testament, this reality of suffering and that our hope is rooted in eternity. And that's where my hope is rooted too. But Jesus did not say to Lazarus in that moment or, you know, did not say to, to Mary and Martha, hey, your hope is rooted in eternity. Amen. Amen. Now they all went home and they were encouraged in heart. He actually raised Lazarus from the dead. And sometimes what happens along the way is that we've prayed so many times that we just start accepting, I guess it's just our will, the Lord's will, that this is what my, my portion in, in life will be, to protect ourselves. And I believe that we need a theology, a biblical theology of suffering and the, the hope of eternity. You guys have heard me, I've said this over and over and over again, but I also believe we need a biblical theology of breakthrough. Because when Jesus revealed himself as the I am, he was saying, I am, I, uh, this is who I am. He, it goes all the way back to Exodus 3, which Pastor Brenton talked about at the start of the series. He says, I'm the same God of Moses. I, I'm that God. I am. And the God of Moses was a God who did not say to the Egyptians, no, or did not say to the Israelites, just stay in Egypt and it'll get better when you die. He's a God who actually brought them out of Egypt. But he brought them out of Egypt and then he brought them before a red sea. And it's like, God, I thought you were delivering us. You brought us to a dead end. There's no more hope for my life. The enemy's coming. We're going to die. And then he makes a way where there is no way. This is our Jesus. And this morning, I, I want to pray for breakthrough. I don't know the timing of God on things. I've heard testimonies of people who for years and years and years they were prayed for nothing, nothing, nothing. And then there was a day, boom, where God broke in. And along the way, they needed hope. They also needed people who would not give up this understanding of who God is, that he is a God who brings breakthrough as well. He's a God of resurrection and the life. And I want to pray this morning that the Lord would resurrect some things in our lives. Why don't we just all stand and we're going to pray. Sometimes we're so afraid that if we get our hope up one more time and the Lord doesn't do something, how am I going to deal with it? And the answer is we put our trust in who Jesus is, in his character, in his nature, in his ways. Jesus, you never change. You never change. And I thank you, first of all, Jesus, that as the resurrection and the life, every single one of us who knows you, we have the hope that when we die, we're going to spend an eternity with you. Guys, I just want to say to you guys here today that if you do not have this hope in your life, put your hope in Jesus today. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. I give you my life. I'm yours. Turn from your sin and say yes to him. Jesus, I thank you that you are the resurrection and the life and that we have this hope of eternity, that we know that, that for sure all suffering is going to end when you return. That every physical thing is going to be dealt with when you return. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. 
Oh, but Jesus, you're the God who raised Lazarus from the dead. You didn't leave him in that grave. You raised him from the dead. And I ask Jesus for resurrection power to be released this morning. I ask God for people who've been contending for healing. God, I ask that today would be the day where you break in and you heal them. God, I pray for bodies made whole. God, I pray this morning for cancers dissolved. God, I pray this morning for for, for meetings with doctors where where diagnoses are radically altered. God, would you release power this morning? God, I pray for broken marriages. Oh, Jesus, I ask, I ask Jesus that you would turn hearts back to each other. God, I ask for the impossible. God, even in, in situations where it seems like nothing can be done, I ask, God, that you would mend broken marriages. God, I pray and we pray for prodigals to come home in Jesus' name, for prodigals to see the light and turn and come back to you. You're the God of the breakthrough. And Jesus, you're the resurrection and the life. And Lord, for those who've gotten weary in the waiting and they're like Mary and Martha in the in-between and they're like, Jesus, why haven't you done anything yet? God, I ask that you would show us who you are. Oh, Lord, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that we would understand who you are, that our hearts would be filled with hope, God, even in the midst of the waiting. Even in the midst of the in-between, I ask, God, you're the resurrection and the life for fresh life and hope to come into our spirits. God, I pray for the lifting off of hopelessness. That you would show us your heart for these situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.